Hi, this is Alex. And this is Emily. And this is our podcast, What Makes. Today, we're talking about what makes a good apology. What makes a good apology? Um, honesty, humility, um, brokenness, and a uh, willingness to listen to the other person's hurt that you caused. Uh, sincerity. After saying you're sorry, following through by changing the behavior. Thinking of the other person rather than yourself. Whatever it was you, you did, it's thinking of someone else. Today we're talking about what makes a good apology, and um, I'm interviewing a family friend of ours. Her name is Penny Bragg, and she was close friends with my aunt when we were growing up, and we always knew her kind of as the gum lady because she had gum in her pockets, and my family never had gum, so it was always exciting to see her. Um, And so she's got a pretty incredible life story and um, has some experience with apologies, and so... Uh, She was so gracious enough to let me talk with her, and we recorded via phone call, which was kind of cool for me to figure out how to do that, because, you know, woo woo The internet. The internet, yeah. (laughs) No, this wasn't internet. This was phone. True. Yeah. So anyway, um, so she's she's really great, and she um, is incredibly gracious, and you'll hear that in the interview. This is not like a Barbara Walters interview. I... (laughs) realized in the middle of the phone call that I have not really interviewed anybody other than you and that's not even really interviewing so my end is kind of bumbling and annoying but Penny's amazing and wonderful and so I think she's got a lot to say um but before we hear that do you want to tell me what you think makes a good apology I have no idea <laughs> really I, yeah I think I'm the worst at apologies huh because this I mean okay so this is what I think makes a good apology is when you've listened to the person, you know what's hurt them, and you try to make amends for that. The problem with a good apology is that it's more than just saying I'm sorry. Like, an apology, I think, requires long-term action. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can't, you can say I'm sorry, and you probably truly are sorry, but I don't think the person really forgives you. Not really. Even if they say I forgive you, I don't think they really forgive you until they see a change in action. I think you're just talking about me. No. And forgiveness. But in terms of an apology, I think you'll be interested to hear what Penny has to say because I think she hits it on the head. All right. So I look forward to it. Cool.
this week's episode is about apology and what makes a good apology. And today I'm joined by Penny, who's an old friend. Well, she's not old. She's yeah. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. She's young, super young. Uh, she's a longtime family friend, and we've just recently reconnected, and she's got a pretty incredible life story. But Penny, I asked you today because I think that you probably have some pretty good perspective on what makes a good apology. So maybe we'll just start with that. What do you think makes a good apology? Well, thanks for having me on, Emily. I don't take that lightly at all. And, you know, what comes to mind first is humility, and that's so hard. Mm. It's so hard to be humble and just admit your own part of a breakdown or something that's happened. And I don't think we're really – I wasn't raised with a model for that, you know, like Mm. watching someone dialogue – um, like my father to my mom or mom to us or anything like that because that just, you know, I mean, you might have said I'm sorry, but I really didn't know how to be humble and say, and not say, I'm sorry, but you really made me mad. Not that kind, you know. Uh-huh, it's, uh-huh. It's, I'm, I'm sorry for my part of what's happened. So I think humility is really, really important and hard to do. So what would your definition of humility be? I think uh, owning up to your own part of something, of realizing that you're not perfect, that you do, you know, you do have stuff. Everybody has mm-hmm. it. And I think being really transparent with that mm-hmm. uh, and just saying, you know, like, yeah, this is, you know, I tend to be like, I know, I know I'm a super, like, I like to orchestrate and control mm-hmm. and, you know, administer over things and I just lead and all that. And, Sometimes I can go a little um, wonky on that, and you know I know I have issues surrounding that and other insecurities and things like that. So just really saying and acknowledging and admitting that I've got that stuff and I'm working through it, but you know I've got it. I think that's what humility is about. Yeah, so kind of taking responsibility for what you've done, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, um, especially, you know, let's just, like, if there's a little, let's say, I mean, I'm sure you and Alex never have marital sex. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. Or even with the kids, you know. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, it's easy, I think, like, to point the finger at my husband, Clint, it would be so much easier. It feels good sometimes, especially when I think he's messed up. You know? yeah. Like, hey, yeah. you didn't, but, you know, just, yeah. So trying not to point the finger at others. The big yeah. I just. I really hate being wrong. And so what I found over my life is that I try not to be wrong. So I don't have strong opinions about a lot of things. So when somebody calls me out on being wrong, I really hate that because I feel like I work so hard not to be wrong. So I totally empathize with that of the humility yeah, part. I have the whole perfectionism. The perfectionism thing for me is, oof, boy, yeah. that doesn't make for a super humble person, but... Yeah, you know, perfectionism. You're also an artist. Um, when you do your art, do you try and make it perfect? <laughs> Just curious. I do. Kind of and, and, <laughs> I do. I do. And, and I have learned many lessons about, you know, because there's a, what's that old quote? There are no mistakes in art. I'm like, no, right. art. <laughs> <laughs> so, I do. Um, 
So I, I do. I find myself doing that. And recently I was working on a piece that was just flopping. I mean, I was just not mm. happy with it. And I tried to stick with it. And I ended up just like peeling layers off because I work a lot in, in caustic and, you know, doing all this. And afterwards, after peeling, you know, stuff back and it didn't go the way I thought, I'm like, ah, I actually like this piece. So I think there is some beauty in not being perfect. I, I'm going to have to work on that one probably my entire life. Yeah, me too. I saw that too as an artist. And one time I gave a recital and afterwards a colleague who's um, a very devout Catholic complimented me and I said, well, thank you. You know, it wasn't perfect, but I had fun. And he said something that has stuck with me. He said, um, perfection is not ours to have. And ever since I thought about that, it oh. kind of has released me in my art. And I'm still working on translating it into like my interpersonal relationships. But maybe, yeah, maybe what part of makes a good apology, too, is having grace with yourself, maybe, for us type A people. (laughs) I agree. I agree. And realizing that, you know, we're not going to do everything perfect. And for me, relationships have been the hardest for me. I don't Mm. know if it was the way I grew up or my experiences, but I remember looking at my husband once and saying, you know what, both of us really suck at this. We just really do. You know, we are not yeah. good with relationships, and there are just, you know, different ways I've realized that I haven't. And, and so as part of my life goal really is to do relationships well, which, of course, mm. takes us back to that topic of apology. I think that the most authentic relationships that I have now are the ones in which um, we can do that. We can be vulnerable and transparent and say, I, I screwed up. I am mm. really sorry. You mm-hmm. know, and um, I value those relationships. I mean, you're, you were mentioning that I'm a family friend. I mean, your aunt and I have been friends since junior high school, and it did not start off well. Let's just put it that way. Actually, I don't know. You might not know this. I actually threatened to beat her up after school. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she had such a great voice, and she was going to take the lead over from a friend of mine, and, a pl- and I was just like, let's take her out after school. And that so that's so kind of the way that I was, yeah. And I can remember <laughs> early on in our friendship, um, yeah, we didn't quite get the apology thing down quite. But, you know, we've worked at it a long, a long time, and we've been friends now for over 40 years, and we can, yeah, yeah. we can do that. up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and she met my Aunt Annie in junior high school. In her book, The Path of Most Resistance, Penny writes, my life and Annie's first intersected in the not-so-hollowed halls of junior high school. She was the new girl from the other side of town. My friends and I plotted to rough her up a little after her powerful voice and genuine charm landed her the leading role in our school musical a part that was supposed to go to one of our choir groupies. Several years later, Penny's life was turned upside down. From her book again, At the age of 16, my brothers and sisters and I were summoned to a family meeting. This was the first gathering of its kind in the Bronzini home, and I was intrigued. 
My curiosity quickly turned to shock when my parents announced their plans for a trial separation. During her adolescence, Penny became a Christian, and after her parents' separation, the church quickly became a surrogate family. She writes, There were plenty of opportunities for teamwork, youth groups, mission trips, vacation Bible school, and music ministry. You name it, I claimed my place within it, which was usually at the helm. After a few years, I suppose I assumed an element of trust with all believers. No one told me that within the body of the church there would still be the sickness of sin. Being a Christian does not preclude a person from making poor choices or committing grave sin, or any sin for that matter. During those impressionable teenage years and intense involvement in the leadership of her church, Penny was approached by one of the young pastors who worked there. At first, the attention seemed benign and brotherly, but soon his attention turned to affection. Penny writes that she was left with the unbearable burden of shame and guilt. She told no one, until several months into the affair, she finally told her best friend, my Aunt Annie. Annie did what Penny couldn't and told the pastor's wife. The affair immediately ended and the pastor and his family eventually left the church. By her early 20s, Penny had experienced several heartbreaks. She writes, Within a year of ending a relationship that had left me utterly ravaged, I met Clint. Clint and I undoubtedly had a great deal in common, including our love for God, eternal optimism, self-discipline, and a passion for sports. We quickly became friends, engaging in deep discussions about God over weekly tennis matches. I felt quite relieved when I finally told Clint about what had happened between the youth pastor and myself. He was very compassionate and expressed a righteous anger at the series of events that had left me with such a false and defiled impression of love. Penny and Clint were soon engaged and had a storybook wedding five months later. In the beginning of their marriage, Penny decided to pursue a teaching credential and befriended a fellow student who is not a believer. Penny writes, What started as an innocent friendship gave way to several months of a deeper relationship that was heading toward the borderline of codependency. At the onset, I was optimistic and very naive, deciding that this would be the perfect opportunity for me to befriend an unbeliever and lead yet another sinner to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Less than two years after I walked down the aisle, I walked out on my marriage. No amount of dutiful service to God, a promising career, or my husband could fill the void in my heart. Living amidst a situation where I felt ineffective as a wife and ill-equipped as a stepmother, my sadness intensified. What I wanted was all that I could see. Although I ran the first time the sexual advance was made, valiantly attempting to put a stop to things right then and there, I did not fend off these advances forever. At 27 years old, I walked away from everyone and everything to return the embrace of another. We have we don't know each other yet as adults, but I've, I've read your book and and you you are very developed. You are progressive and you are mature, and it's obvious that you have spent a lot of time 
becoming a better person, which I think is such a wonderful quality. Was there a point in time where you started, where you kind of had a wake-up call? Or like you said, you've had to work on apologizing. Like, is there a, can you tell a little bit about your story? I can. I had the biggest wake-up call. <laughs> um, so when when Clint and I were married, it was back in the late 80s, and our marriage only lasted two years. Uh, it blew apart, and I was the one that walked out the door, and, you know, my heart was just so hard. Long story short, there was no, after that divorce, there was no communication with us between us for 11 years and the entire time I was just running away from what I had done from bailing out on that relationship mm. I felt a lot of shame and I never apologized to him because of course you know I'm like he's wrong <laughs> he did that but truly it was me and it was just like this gnawing away at my insides for a number of years and about eight or nine years after we divorced he really decided that it was time it was my wake-up call I remember it was just one night in particular where I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought who are you you know what have you become you you know and I just I really decided at that point to work on my heart and my shortcomings and acknowledge them and I had become super proud I had a great career and all these mm. accolades and I just broke. I broke wide open. So I did some counseling and for a number of months, and through that, I decided to make a list of all the people that I, I don't, boy, it was really hard. All the people that I had either broken trust with, didn't apologize to, needed to ask forgiveness. I didn't, wow. I really didn't want to do it, Emily, I have to be honest. It was just <laughs> definitely a spiritual thing. So was that... Yeah, was that led by your therapist at the time, or was that something yeah, that you just kind was, of together? But, yeah, yeah, together. I just said, you know, I really mm -hmm. feel like I need to go back and repair these things, and they're not all going to be reconciled or anything, but at least I will know in my heart that I did what I needed to do. Um, and, I mean, your aunt was one of those because she mm. was really trying to call me to account and back when I left Clinton. I didn't want mm. to be... And she loved me all the way through it. And both she and her husband, Rob, were very forgiving and kind and loving and unconditional. And so I started with that one because that was easiest or I figured yeah, it would yeah. be. And, I mean, Clint really should have been at the top of the list, Emily, but I was so afraid it had been 11 years. Well, that one probably carried I, the most risk. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I thought, you know, he has every right, every right to blast me, to you know, whatever. So I put that one off last. It took me three additional years to, to wow. make contact with him. Yeah, didn't know where he lived. So I, I did it through a letter because I didn't know how else to get a hold of him. And, uh -huh. and so when I wrote the letter, I felt so good. I felt like I had, mm -hmm. and I owned up to my part. I didn't put anything on him. I just said, look, I was dishonest. I was hard-hearted. I apologize for the breakdown, and I'm not saying a letter can heal anything, but I just need to make sure that you know that you're a good man, and mm. I, you know, this is what I did, and I really affirmed him and was honest with my stuff, and what I didn't expect was that he got the letter and called me. Oh, my gosh. That was, yeah. <laughs> so that was so, a five-hour conversation. Yeah. Was this the time of, did he call your cell phone, or did he call your house he, line? No, this was home phone. Yeah, barely had cell so phones, and the inter the internet had just started. So okay, so you picked yeah. it up because you know it could have been best friend, right? Because yeah. like now, he if you had called your cell phone, you probably could have like been like, "What's this number?" and waited for a message. 
Yeah, he had actually called when I was at work, and he left a voicemail <gasps> message. And when I was listening, you know, it was when we all had answering machines. And yeah. I listened to it, and when I heard his voice, oh, I just dropped. It's like, what am I going to do? You know? Yeah. Now, so what? Last year now. <laughs> yeah. So did you? you so what did you feel when you heard his voice? Fear. Um, Fear. Anxiety. Yeah, because I figured, you know, 11 years of saving it up, I was finally going to get it, and I was going to go the whole the whole thing. I wasn't going to stop short and wimp out because it was going to be a hard conversation and I knew it. Yeah. And boy, did it, I mean, it really surprised me because right off the bat, he apologized to me. And I thought, what are you apologizing <laughs> for? You know, I'm the one and he did. He's just, I didn't love you the way I should have. I'm so mm. sorry you never knew that, you know, you were so important to me. I mean, that just set the whole tone. It was five hours of the best, deepest, most authentic, transparent conversation I'd ever had with anyone in my entire life. Oh, my life. gosh. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So then it had a happy ending. Yeah. yeah. Well, we hung up and we were done. I mean, there was no, like, we just exchanged words of forgiveness and all that. Yeah. And hung up and was wished each other well and that's awesome and then two days after that and you tell me how a letter gets across the country in two days but it did because he was in Florida at the time and I got this letter and basically it was 10 pages long but at the end of it it said there's one thing I did not ask you when we were on the phone have you ever considered reconciliation because I still have love for you in my heart oh my gosh what did you think didn't see that one coming I mean I was absolutely shocked I was I mean, I still, I have goosebumps right now just telling you because it was the very thing that this letter of apology that I wrote to bring closure to my past actually broke it wide open. And that's the thing about apology. I think as we, you know, we're talking different qualities or whatever, there's this really amazing, uh, I don't know if it's sacred, I guess, almost thing that can happen through that language of, forgiveness and apology that really is kind of counterculture to the world that we live in. Yeah. So I assume then that you and Clint continue to practice apologizing to each other. To um, this day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what an example. Uh, does it get easier? It it does, but there's different level. You know, your life changes. We did remarry, obviously, about six months after he got the letter, and mm-hmm. um, it would be easy to move forward on euphoria and think, oh, okay, we did, we apologize, don't have to do that again. But you know, your yeah. past comes back up to haunt you and stuff. So it does get easier the more you learn the language. The first couple of years, though, we were still really practicing getting to know each other's um, manner of processing, you know, arguments mm-hmm. or. That, that kind of thing, but it definitely does. The more you do it, the more it becomes, I think, a part of your vocabulary, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel sometimes like you're swimming upstream because most people, you know, just to say, I was wrong, I did this, and not I was wrong, but you did this. Yes, uh huh. Yeah, we don't see a lot of that modeled in, you know, TV or yeah. media or, you know, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. That that is amazing. Um, so I I I kind of consider you I kind of consider you an expert at apologizing. I hope that's okay to say that. Um, yeah. Do you have any um, advice for people who, like myself, 
find it hard to to admit they're wrong. Yeah, it, it is. It's really hard. It does take practice, and you mentioned extending grace to yourself. Sometimes I'm better mm-hmm. at it than than other times. But I have found that I, I cannot think because you know Clint was one in a line of people in ten, twelve, fourteen people that I I did this with, and I have really made that a part of my life all the way along, and I can honestly say my apologies have never been rejected, I guess. I I felt Mm -hmm. free afterwards, and so Mm -hmm. I would say to a person who's hesitating, no matter how it goes, maybe it it still, you know, isn't received well or whatever, you feel so free afterwards Mm -hmm. because there's something in you that says, well, I've done, you know, my part here and what I need to do, and, you know... Forgiveness is like a a, a one-way street, and reconciliation is like a two-way street. So sometimes mm. we think, oh, if we, you know, forgive, then the, the relationship will be reconciled. Well, what if it's somebody who's passed away? You know, I need to forgive yeah. my grandfather because he did such and such. So reconciliation doesn't always happen, but at least on your on your own heart, if you're hesitating, do it a few times and see how free you feel afterwards. Yeah you know, inside yourself about it. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a hard and I guess thing, it, but it's... Yeah. I guess if it comes from a place of humility, there's there's no downside at all. There's only benefit to doing it. There's, yeah, yeah. And it's just that and humility think, that, that's the hurdle. It is, it is. And fear keeps us... I mean, even with our kids, it's probably strange, maybe someone who hasn't ever apologized to their children... Uh, I know now with, with parenting and classes and stuff, it, it's more talked about. But, you know, back when I grew up, it's not you're not going to hear your parents say, I'm so sorry I mm-hmm. yelled at you that way. I shouldn't have. I would have been like, huh? <laughs> no, but, um, but I think re- it's important to, to learn, I think, ourselves how to model that for the next generation so that they grow mm-hmm. up with parents and grandparents and aunties and and uncles that can say, uh, even though I'm an older person, to a younger person, I'm saying, oh, I made a mistake. Yeah, but humility is not it's not high, hierarchy hierarchical. Or... Exactly. That's yeah. Right. Yep. It's well put. It. Cross generational. Well yep. Yeah. Well, I am so honored that you are willing to spend time with me this morning talking with me and you have touched so many people on a regular basis and I'm definitely motivated and inspired to apologize to my kids if I need to of course I'm a perfect parent no, I'm just kidding oh well, yeah I mean yeah let's not take it too far Emily. right I mean, exactly yeah no. I know, I know, because it, there is, especially in marriage, for for me, I find that's a really difficult one to apologize in, and we see, now my husband and I do work with other couples who are struggling, and we, that's pretty much the number one thing. Is it really? That, yeah, that drives couples to divorce, separation and divorce, is that they will not let go and just say, own up and be humble and apologize. Yeah, that's definitely so I wow. think it's really needed. Yeah. That's a big that's thing. Surprising. I didn't realize how yeah, it is to me actually. But it is, it is yeah. in the same way. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's no, the root of so you. much. 
It, it definitely is, and I appreciate you giving airspace here, podcast space, to a topic like this. That's it's difficult. It's dicey and risky, and you know. Yeah. Well, life. Life is messy and risky, but it's it's still full and rich. So, with people like you, making it better. uh, Fuller and richer. The more we, you know, emulate those. Uh, traits of humility and, you know, too, when someone comes to you asking for forgiveness, if you've had to be in that position, let's say, like I remember going to Clint's mom, oh, and saying, you know, when, after I had left and then he and I were going to reconcile, I wanted to really apologize to her. I walked out on their family, you know. Mm. Um, and so, but having been in the position of the one asking for forgiveness, now when someone comes to me, Asking mm. for forgiveness, I'm like, oh, because I know what it takes to do it. Yeah. So you just want to just pour out your, like, yes, of course I forgive you. You know, um, yeah, you know what it feels do you like. Think, do you think um, apologizing and practicing the art of apologizing, do you think it makes you more empathetic? I, I do. I do. Uh, more compassionate. Uh-huh. Um, definitely. Definitely. Um, and, you know, I, I think have a pretty – no, go ahead. Oh, I, I, I think that that's what we need as a people in general is a, is a better sense of empathy. Emily, well said. <laughs> yes. Passion and all that. I mean, on a day like today. When... I guess I should point out that we recorded on January 20th, which was Inauguration Day. The whole inauguration thing is happening in our whole nation is – really rising up, you know, against one another and all that. It's like, yeah, uh, scary. It is, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Penny. I appreciate you. You're welcome, Emily. I appreciate you, too, and asking, allowing me to be a part of this. So I just say to anyone listening, if there's any little tug on your heart, maybe it's an old friend a coworker, your child, or you're just feeling that tug like, oh, I've never made that right. Go do it. I just really encourage you to do it. You'll feel free. Go do it. Woo! This week's episode. Special thanks to Peter, Carrie, Paris, and Dorothy, and of course to the delightful and beautiful Penny Bragg. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>